Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, the show where we tell real stories from real people and get real solutions. This is where you get to hear how to feel happy, balanced, and worthwhile, how to make that lonely ache vanish and feel empowered, confident, and secure. I'm Lauren Abrams, and today we're talking to the fabulous executive coach, Stacey Gorin, who's joining 52 Weeks of Hope to talk about how to deal with what's happening in the world today. She's sharing specific tools to help us overcome our limiting behaviors so that we can reach our full potential faster. After working at IBM for decades and knowing something was amiss, Stacy got in touch with who she is and what she wanted and now thrives as a coach, guiding others to reach their goals. She helps leaders during defining moments when they need it the most. Stacy doesn't want to see anyone take as long as she did to take that leap of faith and do what they're called to do. Learn right now how to power up in order to live, lead, and inspired authentically today. As a coach, mom, and a friend of so, so many, Stacy shares with us now how to discover your unique strengths in order to excel. I'm sure she's going to have and give us a raw, deep conversation full of all kinds of insights. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, Stacy Pazornik Gorin. So excited to be here and so excited to hear Stacy Pizornik Gorin. I often don't hear my main name, and uh, I love I love that you know me as Stacy Pizornik. Absolutely, I googled you before you came on. Just curious what I would find, and what I saw was a Maya Angelou quote and a picture of you and the girls. And so I thought, and that was almost it. So when I Google your entire name, not a lot pops out. But that seemed to be a synopsis of you. It was you with your horror family. Yeah, interesting. I think put in Stacy Gorin coach, you'll see a lot more things with that. So what is an executive coach? What do you do? So I work in corporate America. I was with IBM for many, many years, left and went to a new corporation. And I work with our leaders in our firm to help them overcome whatever challenges that they are dealing with that are holding them back from being their most successful, most productive, happiest version of themselves. Okay. How did you end up from IBM to being an executive coach? Yeah, very circuitous. As I like to tell people, and I do a lot of leadership training and development, it took me 20 years to figure out what I wanted to do, and then another 10 to actually be able to do it. So I was very technical at IBM. I had an operations research degree from University of Maryland, and I was hired, yeah, woo-woo Turks. I was hired to do software troubleshooting. I, I can't even really even tell you anymore. And kind of through many different roles and responsibilities, I ended up getting an MBA, getting asked to do some financial work and was miserable, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do and started actually working with the coach who made me realize that the reason I was waking up so uninspired and unmotivated is I was working in a job that I was not passionate about, that I was not honoring the values that were so important to me, like connecting with people and making a difference in the lives of people. And I wasn't real, quite frankly, it wasn't leveraging my competencies or strengths. And that's how I ended up saying, I want to do what you're doing. And then it took me another 10 years to be able to do it like I'm doing it now, where it's the, my full-time gig and could not be more passionate and excited about what I, what I do and where I get to do it. So what would you tell someone 
today so it doesn't take them 10 years. Yeah, how about 30 years total, really? 20 years to figure it out and 10 to do it. I mean, to really do it. I would say, think about your values. Think about what's really important to you. Think about what you're passionate about. What do you love to do? And what are your strengths? And if I would have thought about those things early on, I would have realized that what I was doing was not at all honoring all those things and, and leveraging my strengths and doing what I was passionate about. So you've got two daughters. Do you think you taught that to them and that they're doing what they love to do now? A hundred percent. My daughters are the product of being coached throughout their life. And when, as they were young, they would say, quit coaching me. I'm not your client. And now as these millennials who are in these significant jobs, they ask me, which is so finally makes me appreciate that they heard me for all those years, but they asked me, you know, for my opinion, and they asked me to coach them. They asked me to coach their friends. They bring me to their workplaces to talk to their colleagues. So, yes. Well, that's the ultimate compliment. <laughs> yeah, from kids who didn't want me to even uh, talk to them about what they should be doing. Yeah, right. So you've recently moved to Los Angeles in the last couple of years. That must have been difficult to pick up, leave all your friends, what family was left on the East Coast and, and to move out here to LA. How has that been for you? Yeah, I mean, that really was so out of character for me. I am I'm one of the most risk averse people. Haven't grew up in the same area in the East Coast, outside of Washington, DC, lived my whole life there, met my husband. We you know, married him almost 35 years ago. And then when our daughters moved to California, they kept saying, we want you to move out here. We want you to move out here. And it was very hard for me to get my arms around the fact that I was going to leave my family, my brother, my sister, my nieces, my parents who are on the East Coast, all my friends who I had a lifetime developing in a community that I loved and had a lot of connections to come out here. And it is still hard in, in a lot of ways. It's wonderful. And thank God I'm here during the pandemic that I get to be with my children and be a part of their life. But it's hard not seeing my siblings, not being able to see my 89 and 84 year old parents who are living in a house by themselves in Florida. Thankfully, thank God doing okay. But yes, that part is definitely hard. I mean, is everybody doing okay pretty much in your family? Yeah, yeah. In, in fact, yes, everyone's doing, thank goodness. My brother and his partner just went and spent uh, four or five days with my parents in Florida, which was a huge thing because everybody was a little bit on guard. My father has some heart issues. My mother has asthma to get on a plane and fly, but it went really well and they've been my brother got to lay eyes on my parents and make sure that they were doing fine, which they are. What would you say are the biggest roadblocks you've had to get to where you are today in your life? I think maybe the biggest roadblock was probably not knowing myself well enough to know what I really wanted and, and maybe limiting myself because I was so risk averse to not take 
that some of the challenges in, you know, I went with what was familiar and comfortable. I didn't push myself for many years out of my comfort zone, really until we made this move to come here. Well, no, until I left IBM after 32 years, I think was the first time I did something that was like very not, you know, my typical behavior. So you would tell people jump. <laughs> if you I would say, I would say it is, yeah, I would say go for it because the learning that I have experienced in the six years that I left IBM and went to my firm now has been the most rewarding professionally and personally. I mean, really, I, I would say don't be afraid and don't be afraid of failure because I think the, the, the growth happens when you don't succeed initially. I think I've learned more when I've sort of failed than when I've just skated through. So you're living in LA, surrounded by people who pretty much probably have the same political views as you do, but I know you travel a lot in your job. How are you dealing with the politically charged environment? I think like all of us, it, well, I mean, for me, you talk about keeping me up at night, you talk about what I pray for and pray about. I am, and I literally, I have to limit myself on how much news I'll watch, on how much I'll read, because it makes me, it horrifies me. It scares the, you know what, out of me. It just is, I, I can't even believe that this is the United States of America. And, and it's not just, you know, what's going on in terms of politics. It's what's going on in terms of social justice issues and the realization. And, you know, I, I, we taught you and I talked about this once before about understanding what some of my clients and friends who have dealt with, you know, racism and disrespect and all of those things, you know, learning to be an anti-racist, it's hard. Yeah, you and I have talked about it, the learning curve. We thought we were so progressive and... Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and e even today, learning about social coding. Uh, no, I think I actually said that wrong. I'm going to have to tell you what it is, but it's called, yeah, code switching. I, that, again, never heard of that, but that's what so many of our, I mean, are, are you, have you heard of that? Do, are you familiar with code switching? It, if I can explain it, it's, it's the way I understand it. It's what so many of our Black friends, colleagues do all the time so that they fit in more with their white colleagues or whatever to not make themselves different than the white majority. So that's the term for when they, to not sound black at work so that they can sound a certain way and then they sound a certain way, act a certain way, live a certain way, code switching. Right. You and, and, and it's exhausting. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I do, you know, I do discrimination law at work and I have seen such an uptick in race discrimination case. I never had a race discrimination case in 17 years. In the last few years, they've gone slowly up. And now in the last six months, I can't even begin to tell you. And I'm not a mill. I don't have that many cases at a time. But I mean, I just talked to somebody else today. And I'm sure he was code switching. Is that what you were, you know, trying to sound a certain way talking to me? I'm sure he talks to other people in his community at one way and was talking to me another. And that it's sad. It just... It's and but I'm, I'm actually 
glad to hear that you're getting more cases because I think the more this gets in front of all of us, the more that we become aware. It's kind of like that unconscious, you know, there's the unconscious part and then there's the conscious part. Oh, yeah. Well, you and I, we were talking about which books were easier for us to read, it, not uncomfortably easier, just... To, easier. Yeah, to, to process and to, you know, to remember code switching and yeah. Yeah, I, I know. It's it's a lot, but it's not just in who would have thought we're back to having to worry about choice. Choice. And, oh my gosh. And to tell people what they can do, tell women what they can do with their bodies, tell people who they can marry. I mean, it is horrifying to me. It's beyond. So how are you coping besides just not watching too much news? I am trying to, I'm meditating for really the first time, trying to meditate. Ah. I'm, I'm making sure that I am taking care of myself in terms of, you know, working out. And as a woman in, who has worked out her whole life and had so many injuries, I'm trying to do different things so I'm not hurting anything and I can continue to run and bike and swim and do yoga, but I'm just doing different things every day. And I'm trying to, the best I can to connect and to connect to my friends. I, ironically, the pandemic has been actually a good thing for, um, because we're everybody's remote. So I'm now connected with a group of my friends from the East Coast and doing book clubs with them and playing online canasta and mahjong with them and going to events with them that are all being done virtually that I would not have been able to participate. It's not doing much for me meeting people on the West Coast, but it is been wonderful to be have those connections again. I was going to ask you how you were developing community, living someplace new, picking up and moving away, but you're you're going back to your East Coast community. <laughs> uh, we've got a. I would. I went from being probably one of the most social people that my friends knew, and was so over sort of committed and booked. To I've got plenty of time, and I'm like, I am missing, especially like my synagogue community that I had in Potomac. So I, I really. That's, that's something that I need to kind of figure out. And, you know, thankfully I've got my daughters and my husband and my four-legged love, uh, Lulu, which actually, ironically, we've met the, the, with the exception of maybe one or two people, the people that we've met and become close to are people we met because of the dog. Community is so important. In interviewing people for 52 Weeks of Hope, community was one of the number one uh, common threads that I learned that we need. And in the blue zones where life happiness and the one of the number one factors for people who live longest and with being happy and healthy also, uh, community was one of the number one factors for that. So it is so important. That's why I was going to ask you about community. And so it's great that you can connect back with yours, that you can slowly develop one here also. Trying to. Try. Yeah. It's, I mean, which is obviously harder during the pandemic than, you know, it would have been if we were not been basically in our homes for the last six and a half months. Yeah. I just listened to a Brene Brown interview, the ex-postmaster general. There's three different types of community that we all need and synagogue or religious or some larger body community is only one. And then there's the friends, then there's the relationship. It's a lot, but it's 
necessary. Yeah, and that's exactly like that's exactly what I'm missing is just the what that element of the like like the synagogue or that type of affiliation. Yeah. People who are having a hard time just the regular getting up in the morning. There's not nothing to look forward to that sort of a tough time. What would you tell that person? I mean, it's interesting because I coach people all the time and I mean, I think it's about figuring out what would make you happy and doing something every day for yourself. Whether it's, for me, it's exercising, whether it's calling someone you love that you haven't, maybe that you haven't talked to in a while, learning something new, but, you know, trying to figure out what makes you happy and then tr- and figuring out a way to do it. I mean, one of the other things that I said to you, like, you know, connection with my friends, but also like we did a Passover Seder with my parents in Florida, my brother and sister in Maryland, nieces and nephews in New York and us in California. And we would have never done that had it not been COVID. So I think it's like trying to look for ways to connect where you might not have before. And, and that's hopefully something that I feel like I know for me, I want to make sure I take forward. And I hope other people will, because I think people are, many people are finding ways to connect that they wouldn't have prior to, you know, the COVID and the pandemic. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we, we have a Zoom family call every Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and you might not have done that. And listen, my 89-year-old mom and 84-year-old father are, we're Zooming with them. And it, I mean, they are like, you know, kind of with their camera. We're like, mom, we see half of you and half of dad. You got to get into the camera. There's definitely that, like, pop, pop, move your camera up. <laughs> yeah. Please, it's really dark in your room. This is it. Yeah, we, we, we definitely do that too. But so what are some other things that when you, because you're coaching a lot of different people, some people don't exercise. Okay, so I just wrote an article, seven ways to feel better or happier or something. My daughter's favorite part of it, it was really funny. She went, she said, I want to read it. So she starts reading it. She goes, well, this is actually really good. <laughs> she was, and then and she finished it. She said, you know, my favorite part, I said, what? She said, you don't put exercise anywhere in there. She loved that. There was no. <laughs> That's funny. But I, that... figured, I figured that like when you don't want to get out of bed, you don't want anybody to tell you, yeah, go exercise. <laughs> so what are some of the things that aren't necessarily your things that you would do to feel better, but that you hear from other people? I, I, I've heard some really interesting things from interviewing just in the few podcasts, I've done a handful, what, maybe a dozen podcasts, I guess, so far. And I've heard such inter- interesting things, but you are a coach, so you must hear plenty of interesting. Well, I, I might need to hear from you some of these strategies, but some of the things that, you know, people are doing is to getting up and just being in a different room because you can't necessarily leave your house, but instead of working out of their office, they go into a different place, they sit outside and work, they have, you know, lunch with their families, which they never would have done. They've taken up learning a instrument, learning a new language. And, you know, these are people who are, I heard someone tell me that they learned to code. I was like, I don't even know what that, I don't even know what that means, even though I worked for IBM for so long. Um, (laughs) But, but, you know, trying different things and 
you know, cooking, you know, I mean, we're all hearing about, you know, we hear about the freshman 15. Well, this is, I don't even know what this is going to be, but, you know, people are, you know, I know for us, I mean, we, I started experimenting and cooking and baking like I never have before. I started out because I was so anxious and upset when this, in March, I lost weight and now I've gained that back plus some. Yep. <laughs> so I'm curious, what, share with me some of the things that you've heard that people have done that maybe it would be helpful for me to know. It wasn't really confined to COVID. It was more, that's why I was wondering when you are coaching people, what you were having them do. One person said that for when somebody doesn't want to get out of bed, she was taught to write three things down that she wanted to accomplish that day. And they could be tiny things. They didn't need to be big, right? Kind of thing. It could be three little things, your laundry or do clean the dishes from the sink today. I mean, they have to be big. They could be, you know, make. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and we, and I tell people this a lot. I mean, it's almost like, like you talk about daily affirmations, whether it's writing it or Mm -hmm. thinking it, but you know, what, what do you have to be thankful for? whether it's your health, whether it's a, some, you know, something you love, but to do that every day, you know, when you're in this throes of despair, like we all are, well, what's, I mean, and, and like we experienced it last night, we hadn't been together as like in my son-in-law's family. So it was like, I don't know, like 12 of us, everyone got COVID tests and we got to be together. And it was just such a, you know, I, I feel like for me personally, it's like the things that I relish and savor are very different than they would have been seven months ago. I mean, I, like, I don't miss necessarily going to a restaurant. It's the connections I miss. It's being with people, uh, you know, even it's just, it's the simplest things that make such a difference. Just being able to give someone a hug. I mean, to give someone a hug is just huge nowadays. Yeah. I miss hugging my friends. That is so high on my list that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We got to hug last night. We all hugged and it was amazing. It was amazing. That's pretty great. Gratitude lists. I, I do gratitude lists every day and I was writing something else this morning. feels like days ago already, but I'm just writing another blog and I just quickly looked up gratitude journals or something like that. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books on the benefits of gratitude journals, thankful lists. They're called all kinds of different things, but it's it's in that same vein of just, but it's the whole thing of whatever you focus on grows. So if you focus on what you're grateful for, then that expands. But if you want to focus on what's wrong, then that's what grows. So a hundred percent. I mean, and, and that's, you know, I try to reframe things so they're in the positive versus the negative you know even like in conversations that i'll have to just you know not it's not just about focusing on the positive but to reframe it it's like instead of saying i want to stop doing x y or z it's like i want to start doing a b or c and i say i get to do a b and c yeah i mean it's kind of like i don't know if you've heard of amy cuddy who said you know, fake it until you, not, not until you make it, but fake it until you become it. So you just, you know, it's like you, you put it out there, you put it, you know, you put it out and you step into it and then you become it. 
Oh, no, that's really good. I like that. No, I hadn't heard that saying. It's the two steps forward, one step back, that the country's going through a shift and it's being shaken up and, and in order to be righted, this is, it needed this much of a shaking up. <laughs> well, I heard a beautiful Rabbi Sharon Grouse talked about in her sermon over the, the last couple of days that, you know, it's not about returning to where we were. How do we make this country and this world better than it's been before? Right. And, we, and that really resonates with me. Yeah, we're not going back. There's no, no. Way going back. there's no, no. Going back. We don't go back. It's that's the. We don't know where we're going, but let's make it someplace fabulous. Let's go someplace and we're, imagine it. Yeah. Where do you want to be? Who do you want to be? As we want to be with? Yeah, to create it. I mean, you know, it's it's not about everybody talks about going back to normal. We're, not, we're never going back to normal. It's going to, you know, what's the future? Let's create and envision this future the way we want it to be and have to figure out how to get there. You've got your, I've met your girls. They're fabulous. Your son-in-law is incredible. Like these are incredible. My daughter, like they're friends. Yeah. These are people are, oh, the millennials, this and that. The millennials are great. They get things done. They get it done fast. People, Passionate and yeah. Yeah. absolutely. Amazing. I look at my son, he's a senior in high school now, and he's just, he, he's on fire for reading everything and, and just, it's- And the fact that, the fact that the, uh, this son, your son, a high school senior, is so aware. When, when I was that age, I was not interested. I mean, and it's just amazing that the youth of today are as knowledgeable and aware and active. It's amazing. Yeah, but that's what gives me hope. I mean, truly, that's what gives me hope. Yeah, especially when you're stuck in the house because of COVID. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. That's true. Listen, all parents who have children living at home, who are in school, who are missing out on so many things. I mean, my heart breaks for, you know, the parents, for the kids. I mean, college freshmen right now, their experience is so different than what it should be and what they hoped it would be. I know my, my uh, nephew, he's at McGill. I'm thinking good for him. He's in Canada. At least he can have an experience. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure it's still not like, you know, what it would have been. Uh, it's better than being in America. Yeah. Well, so, nice. you know, we'll see if he stay. I don't know, but at least he's having something. Good classes. Is there any other message of hope that you might want to transmit that you would want to tell somebody going through a hard time? I would say don't, and I think I learned this about myself when I, when our family was going through a challenging time is to ask for what you need, whether it's someone to pick the kids up, whether it's someone to pick up medication, whether it's someone to be there to talk to you. So I, I think my message is ask for what you need and don't be afraid to set the limits that you know, I can't be everything to everyone all the time, but but I think it's mostly to just know yourself well enough to ask for what you need and, and be willing to put it out there. Oh, that's also very hard, especially for women. I think that's really hard for people to ask for what they need. It, it, believe me, it, it is crazy. I have coached thousands and thousands of women and men. Men will take it and say, you know, I want to do this or I want to do that. It is very hard, especially for women, as you said, to ask for what they want, to admit that they need help, 
Absolutely. It was, it was, I mean, that was a huge learning thing for me. I mean, I felt like if that was, if I had to ask for help that I was less than, and I now flipped it. And that's when I talked about being the positive. I realized the fact that I can show my vulnerability, it's showing that I'm, you know, it's more than versus less than. That's really great. Do you find there's anything else that women have a harder time with than the men? Well, women don't have the, women innately do not have the confidence that men have. And what our society has shown is that confidence is actually more important than competence. That people who are confident are getting ahead faster than people who are just like really good at something. So there's so many things that where women need to overcome these self-inflicted limitations the imposter phenomenon, women, you know, so many women suffer from believing that they're not good enough, that they don't deserve, that they're going to be found out. I mean, you hear Sheryl Sandberg talking about it, Michelle Obama talking about it. I mean, every successful woman that I know has gone through a period of her life feeling like she was not worthy of where she was. Yeah, I wrote, I just wrote a blog on that too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, and it was, yeah, Sheryl Sandberg. I mean, Maya Angelou. It was just all top, top people thinking, oh my God, I'm going to get found out. Just spoke to somebody yesterday. I get calls from top, top female attorneys with the most egregious facts of it's unbelievable. And they will never stick up for themselves. They won't go after their law firm or their employer, whoever it is, because oh, what it'll do to their career or what will somebody think of me or this and that. And it just shocks me again and again and again that here are these top professional women that won't stick up for themselves. And I think it always comes to self-esteem. So many things come back to self-esteem. Just it doesn't well, matter. But, but it's also that a woman standing up for herself is oftentimes seen as being aggressive or the B word where a man will be considered, you know, will be seen as a leader and wow, look how assertive he is. So there really is that double bind and there is that bias that, you know, absolutely happens. I mean, you know, I see it, I have taught hundreds of leadership classes and I'll ask the question to a group of women, how many of you have ever been in a meeting and been trying to share a perspective and you get interrupted and five minutes later, someone says the same thing and everybody says, that's great. And every hand goes up. But in a, in a room with men, that doesn't happen. It, it's being used against my client this week. It, it, she has a wrongful termination case and big, large company, same thing. She wasn't allowed to speak in meetings and it, they're using it against her. Well, she didn't speak in meetings. It's the double Double edge. bind. That's called a, yeah, the double bind. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it is. She was an expert. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Happy to help you anytime, Lauren. Yeah, it's her, not me. Yeah. Happy to help her. Yeah, she's fabulous. And it's, yeah. Very it's sad. I mean, that's, and the impact of the pandemic has the opportunity to be so much significantly worse for women than men. 50, I forget the percentage, but more than 55%, I think, of the jobs that have been lost, women hold. When you look at like the healthcare industry, it's 75% women. The hospitality industry, predominantly women. And then you look at what happened in the 2008 economic downturn 
where the majority of those jobs that were lost were male-oriented jobs in finance, and it still took women two years longer than men to get to the same point they were at prior. Yeah. And, and, and that was even less women impacted. It's scary if we don't talk about it and we don't do something and make people realize what is going on. Yeah, it's on the list. That's why it's great that you're doing what you're doing. And, and that you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, we're talking about it. Nobody's yeah. quiet. Yeah, exactly. Well, nobody is quiet these days. <laughs> well, yeah, can't afford to be. This is not a time to, this is not a time to wait to be heard. No, definitely not. So we'll keep talking and we'll keep putting hope out there because it won't take as long this time. And there's too many dynamic women and, and the women coming up behind us are fabulous. They're, they do it faster than we do. They're not. Let's they're, hope. Yeah, let's hope. I mean, let's hope they, they learn from our mistakes. And Definitely. They're not. Yeah. Look where they are at such a younger age. I mean, even. That's true. Forget their teens and their 20s. I mean, they learn leaps and bounds quicker. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. That is so true. And, you know, doing what you're doing and, you know, your your book, your blog, your podcast, I mean, are giving people the hope that we need right now. Yeah. Well, that's a good place to end. (laughs) (laughs) For 52 Weeks of Hope. I'm so glad you were a guest today. I just This was fun. Yeah, really was. So fun. So thanks for being here, Stacy. It was good to see you. So great to see you. Join us next week and hear Reiki master and meditation teacher Rachel Lyle as she simplifies mindfulness into a practical practice that anyone can start as a way to feel centered and balanced immediately. Rachel overcame a lifetime of suffering from anxiety and depression, and she's now a wellness seeker, exploring all these different modalities to ground, heal, and reclaim her life and the lives of those around her. Rachel discusses next week how you too can reclaim any part of your life right now. Enjoy this empowering, illuminating episode from Rachel who brings comfort, connection, and joy in next week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast with Stacy Gorin and take Stacy's messages, authenticity, imagination, and courage to be all that you can imagine yourself and your world to be. Until next week, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a positive review, and send us feedback on our website, 52weeksofhope.com. I'm Lauren Abrams. Thanks for listening.